Our next Bible reading is from Matthew's Gospel and the 13th chapter and the 24th to the 30th verse and the 34th to the 43rd verse. So Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 24. So chapter 13, many of Jesus' parables there. And this is the parable of the weeds. Let us hear the word of God. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with it. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And this is 34 to 43. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Amen. This is the word of God. May he bless his word to our souls. 
and bless the preaching of his word. to welcome Luke to come and preach God's word to us. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Uh, Please have Matthew 13 open in front of you as we um, discuss and think together about uh, this parable that Jesus tells. If you... um, get distracted as you listen to sermons normally. There's question sheets here, there's a couple left. You don't have to be young to take one. 10 questions to help keep you in, uh, up, up to speed with what we're saying. So please come grab a clipboard and a pen or pencil and um, the question sheets if you need them. So Matthew 13. And this morning we need to talk about hell. We're a gospel-proclaiming church, gospel meaning good news. We talk about good news, about joy, about hope, about heaven. This is a positive and hopeful and good news-focused church. But we are aware that the good news cannot be truly understood without talking about the bad news. So, this morning, we need to talk about hell. Some people here this morning will have sat through a thousand sermons on the good news of the gospel and might have got so used to sort of smiling and nodding along without fully listening. It's easy to do. This morning I need to ask you, are you listening? It's actually something Jesus asks many times in this section of his word. Have you got ears to truly hear? Are you listening? We need to talk about hell and you need to listen. And I'm not saying this with my own authority, you need to listen to me. I'm not bossing you about. I'm not trying to force you to think about hell because I like the topic. Trust me, I'd rather preach on a hundred other things. No, I'm making us talk about hell this morning because Jesus does. Now, there are many people who don't really believe in hell. They think God is a God of love. Surely he can't send anyone to this place, hell. That wouldn't be loving. Well, I'm very sorry to burst their bubble, but Jesus spoke in at least 35 parables. Some people count it as 46, depends exactly how you're counting. But he spoke in a lot of parables, and at least 13 tell us something about two responses to him. Two ways to live life, or more accurately, two ways to die. Jesus speaks many, many times using these parables to highlight that there is a day coming when he'll return to judge. And you are either good, righteous, fruitful, a guest, welcomed, or you are evil, wicked, unrighteous, unfruitful, and locked out, cut down, burned up, trampled, judged, and killed. Jesus' words, not mine. Each parable is told 
so that the listeners will make a choice. There are two ways to live, two ways to die, justified or guilty. And before I highlight some of the other 12 parables that I think talk about judgment and hell and the two responses to Jesus, let's look at this one in Matthew 13, our passage today, starting at verse 24. And we've chosen to look at this parable because we're reading through Matthew's gospel together, reading the Bible together. This month, it's Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew... Uh, He records a lot of Jesus' parables. It's an important part of his teaching, so it's good to look at one. Matthew's determined to prove to us that Jesus is king, and his people should know what he sets as his kingdom rules. So Matthew records a lot of these parables. And you might have noticed Jesus starts a lot of his parables with, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus was teaching them what this kingdom is like. Every parable is a kingdom parable. And Matthew loves to highlight that Jesus is king. This parable in particular we've chosen because it's part of a bigger section of parables in Matthew 13. And because this parable is only told in Matthew's gospel. Mark and Luke don't mention it. John doesn't really record parables in the same way the others do. So before we dive into this parable, can I ask, do you all know what the Greek word parabole means? That is the word parable, parabole. Anyone know what it means? I will tell you Greek lesson for you this morning. It means to put alongside, to take something and place it next to something else. It means to compare or to illustrate This is a way of teaching people that we use all the time. To understand this hard concept that you won't have any idea about, let me illustrate it by giving you an example you do understand, and we'll see how they fit next to each other. We'll look at how they are similar. So Jesus uses illustrative stories from everyday life. It's a good teaching tool. He helps describe unknown things to his listeners, And he uses harvesting, farming, shepherding, fishing, trees, plants, animals. All things that his hearers would understand. So, verses 24 to 28. Let's look together at this parable and notice a few things quickly. Firstly, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... The kingdom of heaven... He's talking about a kingdom. That's where we start. He's being intentional by saying, I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, being intentional that he's not talking about a kingdom on earth. This is not a new one he's starting today here on earth. It's not a new nation. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's what we're talking about. And is like. What is exactly the same as? We're comparing two things to get some similarities. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Good seed. He's got a plan. He wanted this seed. He wanted to grow the crop from it. Planted this good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the weeds. So we had good seed, a good farmer, 
wanted good plants, he plants the good seed, but there is bad, there is an enemy, there is weeds, not good. Verse 28, when the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. There's growth, there's weeds, there's wheat together. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds, these bad plants come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Verse 28 now. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? They've spotted the weeds. They're saying, where did these come from? Because you are good. You planted good things. Shall we purge it? Shall we remove it? Shall we fix it? Shall we fix this problem? Shall we get rid of them? Verse 29, no, he answers. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. No, don't worry. I'm in control. I know what to do. He's a wise, good farmer. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He's got a set time when he'll harvest. He'll separate them then. They do need to be separated. And the weeds aren't wanted. They'll be burned. But the wheat is gathered in. That's the good seed. That's the plant I wanted. And it's quite an easy parable to begin to understand. Even at first glance, there's some good, which is ruined by some evil. Everyone knows that bad has to be removed. It's not wanted. It's not healthy. It's not good. There's a little difference of opinion of when to do it. Should we do it now? Get rid of it? Or later? And the good farmer says, let's do it later. The final outcome is it's all collected, and the wheat that's wanted is brought into the barns, and the bad that is unwanted is destroyed. Very simple parable. And Jesus makes it incredibly simple for us by drawing the comparisons for us. Okay, I've just read there verses 24 uh, down to 30. A couple of verses later... In 36, the disciples say to him, explain it to us. And he draws the links. He makes the comparison. Like that game we have with children where we put a cat, a dog, a horse, and a duck. And we say, over here there's a kitten, and there's a little puppy, and there's a duckling, and a foal. Join them up. Draw the lines. Horse meets foal. Dog meets puppy. Jesus does that drawing the lines for us in verses 36 to 43 makes it incredibly simple. So verse 37, in answer to them, he says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. There's one line. The field is the world. There's another line. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds equal the people of the evil one. The enemy, that's the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them in the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
So good God, so good people in the world. It's ruined by evil. But there's a time, like a harvest, when this will get sorted out. And the good will be brought into the kingdom to fulfill its purpose. The wheat was planted for a reason. And the bad is destroyed. Jesus is clearly saying there's good in the world. And more specifically, not just this general good stuff. There's actually good, purposeful people. And there is evil. And not just general evil. There's evil people. And they should not remain together forever. If the bad is left with the good, then the good is no longer good. You can't make flour with wheat that's also got weeds in it. Your bread will be manky. Some commentators believe that Jesus here is specifically talking about a, a particular weed that looks a lot like wheat when it begins to grow. In those early stages, it's so hard to distinguish the weed from the wheat. They look the same. But you have to distinguish it because that weed is quite poisonous if you eat it. So you really have to remove it carefully from your wheat. The wheat, the good people, they're wanted. God planted them. He wanted them. He's got a purpose in mind and he's going to gather them in. But weeds are always unwanted. And they need to be destroyed. Before they spread, you've got to burn them. You don't want any of those seeds getting back into the ground to spoil that next crop. You burn them, you get rid of them, you throw them out. And I hope that you can see in this world that there is good and there is evil. There are things God designed and that he wants, and there are things that poison everything. More specifically, there are people that poison everything. And Jesus says, the good stuff we're going to keep. The bad stuff will burn. That's the basics of the parable. Two types of people, two different destinations. But I said we need to talk about hell. And this parable doesn't specifically say hell. Nor does it give a lot of detail about it. But it does make it clear there are two types of people, the wanted, the unwanted. And there are two plans for them at harvest time. Or in verse 39, verse 40, we know harvest time means the end of the age. There are many hell doubters in the world, or even hell deniers, who would say, they would say, this parable says nothing specific about hell. It doesn't even use that word. You can't directly conclude anything from one parable. Not every part of this story, it's a comparison. It's not directly applicable. You can't underline everything and say it's relevant. And that's always the case with a single comparison. Not everything is completely the same. Let me illustrate. Let me put something by the side, like a parable. If you didn't know what badminton is, imagine for a second you've never heard of it, never played it. But I said to you, ah, oh, you don't know about badminton. Uh... Well, tennis. Think about tennis, and you say, yeah, 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 that's um, Rosetsky and Henman and that Scottish guy. I know tennis. I know Wimbledon. And I say, yes, you've got two opposing players, or you've got two sets of opposing players, two of two. Uh, they're on a marked-out court. 
So it's got white lines, you've got some rackets, you've got a net. And you say, ah, yeah, okay, I begin to understand badminton a bit. But you've got to be careful not to assume everything in badminton is the same as tennis. You wouldn't assume everything. If you did, you'd go, oh, yeah, I got it, got it, net low down there. And I'd say, no, 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 net not low down there. I didn't say net low down. If we're talking about net, think volleyball. You go, okay, okay, high net. All right, you've got a high net to get that bouncy ball over. And I said, no, I didn't say bouncy ball. That's volleyball, that's tennis. But no, you've got to think of uh, ping pong ball with feathers, floaty ball, shuttlecock. And you say, all right, floaty ball, high net, okay. But yeah, outside, big open space, quite big garden. Only rich people have a garden big enough for it. And I say, no. No, I didn't say outside court. I didn't say massive. Actually, you've got to think uh, indoor, like a squash court size. And so we've taken badminton, you didn't know about, and I've explained it with tennis and added a bit of volleyball, a bit of feathers, a bit of squash. Some would say we can't assume hell is real because this is just a story and not every part of it is applicable. And Jesus understood that a one-off parable could not be uh, used to prove a point like hell is real. He knew one-off parable could be misunderstood. So he told about 13 parables about the kingdom of heaven, about the two types of people, about judgment. Each time he told a parable, he was revealing something different to help us get a more well-rounded picture. He's saying, add a bit of volleyball, add a bit of feathers. He told a lot of parables, and he was adding a bit each time. And when we add the parables together or layer them up, we get a better picture. So that's what we're going to do now, very quickly, 12 parables. But before we do, some hell deniers might point out that taking one story Jesus told to a small crowd in the north uh, of the country, in Galilee, um, and adding that to another parable he told maybe two years later that might be recorded in a different gospel to a different audience down in the south in Jerusalem. You can't add them up. That's out of context. Because if I told you about badminton this week, and in two years' time, I'm illustrating another point in another sermon with a... um, combustion engine, you wouldn't assume that badminton has petrol in it. You wouldn't add my two examples if they're two years apart or if they're separated. You'd say they're two different parables. You can't add them up. However, I think with Jesus' parables, we do add them up for three reasons. We layer them on top of each other for three reasons. One... Because the Gospels are clear that Jesus really only had one message. Matthew 4, verse 17, is what Jesus came to teach. It says in Matthew 4, verse 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And any time you hear uh, the Gospel writers saying this was his message, it's repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. They're always saying he's got this one message, repent, The kingdom of heaven is near. So we can add it up because he only really had one message. 
That's always what he's teaching. Repent, it's time. Two, I think we can add them up, because Jesus starts so many of his parables with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's verse 24 here. The kingdom of heaven is like. In this chapter, if you read it, there's seven occasions where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's his way of layering them up. He's being deliberate in linking these stories together. He's clearly saying, this parable I'm about to tell you is linked to all the other ones where I start them the same. All the other ones I start saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, they're linked. Jesus links them. And it might be unfair, number three, point three, of why I think we layer them up. It might be unfair to unlayer the parables together and make assumptions if they were recorded in different gospels at different times, different years, different audiences, different places. However, here in Matthew 13, Jesus on the same day speaks in seven and a half, eight parables. On the same day to the same audience in the same place, one on top of another, deliberately layering them up. He wants us to use them all together to get a better understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And as Jesus did that on this occasion, we can do it too. He wants us to. So very quickly, Matthew 13, this is number 1, verse 24 to 43. You've got weeds and wheat, two types of people. One are gathered in, the other burnt. Then, later on in this chapter, Matthew 13, verses 47 to 52, you've got the parable of the net. And the fishermen go out, and they pull in a big catch of fish, and they decide there's some good fish here, there's some bad ones. There's some ones we want, there's some ones that taste horrible, let's throw them away. And they throw away and get rid of the bad fish, and they bring in the good ones. So Jesus has used farming and sowing and harvesting. Now he's used fishing. Then Matthew 18, he talks about an unmerciful servant. And at first, the unmerciful servant looks like he's just been forgiven, looks like he might be one of the good ones. But we find out he's not really part of the kingdom. He's unmerciful. And the king throws him in jail to be tortured. The wicked is punished. Jesus is layering up. The kingdom is like... A guy who's unmerciful who gets punished. He's one of those bad people. Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32, there's the parable of the two sons. The father speaks and says, I've got a job for you. Will you obey me? And one looks like he will but doesn't, and one doesn't look like he will but does. But the point is there's two reactions to the father. One obeys, the other doesn't. One is good, the other isn't. Layering up this story. Matthew 21, verse 33 to 44, this is immediately after. This is Matthew 21 and 22 is another occasion when Jesus is deliberately layering up his parables. We've got the wicked tenants, and they're judged. There's these wicked people who reject the king, and he punishes them. These are the words, it says, those wretched people are brought to a wretched end. That's the description of these wicked people who reject the king. Then you've got Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. This is a wedding. And the king says, I'm going to invite some people to my wedding. I want people here. Let's have a banquet. But the first set of guests 
reject the king's invite. They say, no, we're not interested. We've got other things. Not up for a party. And in verse 7 of Matthew 22, an army is sent to destroy them and burn the city. But on the other hand, the invite goes out again and some good people accept it and they enjoy the party. Two reactions to an invite. Those who reject it are burnt up. Those who accept it join the party. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. We've got ten virgins, ten bridesmaids, that are getting ready for the bridegroom. And in theory, they're all allowed into this feast. But when the bridegroom appears, five aren't ready. Five haven't got their oil lit, five haven't been listening, five weren't obeying, they weren't thinking. So the five who are ready are brought in, they enjoy the party, they're part of the feast. The other five are locked out. And the bridegroom says, no, I don't know you, you weren't here, you're not part of this party. Then we move into Luke's gospel, Luke 6, there's the wise and foolish builders. Obviously a story of do you build on the rock or not? Two types of people. One leads to security, built a strong house on a strong firm foundation. The other leads to destruction. The waves crush that house, destroy it. There's two ways to live. Then you've got Luke 16 verses 19 to 31. There's a rich man and there's Lazarus. Very clear in this one, one goes to hell and one goes to heaven. Jesus is layering up his parables. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. There's a Pharisee praying and he sounds righteous. But it's the tax collector who prays and beats his breast and says, just have mercy on me. He is the one who's justified and the Pharisee isn't. Two reactions, two people trying to please God, and one is accepted and the other isn't. Then you've got Luke 19, verses 12 to 27. There's some servants who reject the king again, a similar story. And there's others who work for him. And they, with their gifts, some uh, invest their gifts and get more um, uh, interest back. But they're all his servants, they're all investing at different rates, but they are aware that he is king, they are obeying him. But there's another set who reject the king. And in verse 27 of Luke 19, it says, But those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Jesus' words, not mine. And then you've got Matthew 25, and I'm... I've left this one to last because I'm going to read some of Matthew 25. Um, Let me start at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, again, talking about the end of the age, and all the angels with him, this sounds familiar, this is like our passage today, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him like the weeds and the wheat. And he will separate the people one from another. This sounds familiar. But he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's a different picture, but he's layering it up. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And we're going to skip to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Every one of these parables layers up on top. There's good people, there's bad people. There's two ways to respond to God. You can reject him or you can love him. You can disobey or obey. There's good people, there's bad people. uh, People who accept God, those who reject him. Those who are justified and those who are judged. Those who are welcomed in and those who are locked out. Those who are secure and those who are unstable. Those who are destined for eternal life and those destined for eternal punishment. Those in the kingdom and those shut out. There's heaven and hell. So today, if you've been listening, this is what Jesus says very often. He ends verse 43. Everyone who's got ears, let him hear. Are you listening to this? Really listening, he's saying. If you're listening, there's bad news. Hell is a subject Jesus talks about a lot. He says it's coming. It is terrible. Many will weep and gnash their teeth when they find themselves shut out of the kingdom. John the Baptist came and he said in Matthew 3, verse 10, hopefully you've read it already this month, but Matthew 3, verse 10, John the Baptist said, The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Even before Jesus was preaching, John started this message. He says the judgment is coming. The axe is by the root of the tree. And Jesus says many will perish. Jesus preached one message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. And he pointed out that many will be condemned to spend eternity locked out of that kingdom because they don't repent. Jesus is clear. Many will be condemned to spend eternity locked out of his kingdom. However, however, that is not why Jesus came. In the future, many people will be condemned. That is to come. But Jesus did not come to do that now. We know John 3, 16 so well. We've got it just to my right. But let me read a bit more of that section. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus didn't come to condemn at this point. 
But there are those who will be condemned. Jesus came so that none would perish, that people don't have to perish, that they can have eternal life. And as he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, he's clear the harvest could be gathered in at any moment. The net could catch the fish. The fishermen could separate the sheep from the goats. At any moment, that could happen. And yet this parable teaches us that the wise sower waits. He gives time. He waits till it's clear that someone is wheat or weed. He doesn't let the angels come in and chop them down now. That's what they wanted to do. He doesn't want to lose any that are truly his. Any who are good wheat. The weeds have to be removed from the wheat. Because that weed will poison the whole batch of flour. Evil people would ruin heaven. The wicked don't obey God, so they can't be part of his kingdom. They have to be removed. But our Savior came so that none will perish. No one has to perish. Paul taught the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 18, that anyone who trusts in Christ can be a new creation. They can start again, they can be born again. The good news this church preaches is that weeds can be made into wheat. They can be replanted. Jesus came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it, to change it, to replant it. He taught that people should repent and be born again. That's in John 3. Maybe you want to read that later. Be born again. Start again. Be sown again. Weeds can be made into wheat with a change of heart. That's why Christ Jesus came. Weeds can be found as wheat on that final harvest day. So this morning, if you are not a believer, you need to think about hell. This morning I had to talk about hell. There are those who are destined for it. There are those who will be locked out. There are those who are shut out and rejected and burned. But none have to perish if we trust in Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus can be replanted and born again. They can be wheat that are gathered in and welcomed in, that's secure and justified in Christ Jesus. So if you're a non-believer here this morning, we're going to pause. We're not going to have a time of open prayer. We're going to have a time of silent prayer, a couple of minutes. If you're not a believer this morning, ask, ask Jesus to explain these parables to you. Ask him to make you understand what it means to believe in him. Ask him what it means to repent. Even repent this morning. There is time. The sower says, it's not yet time. It's time to repent this morning. And believers, we need to talk about hell. You need to be praying earnestly for the weeds in your life. Your friends, your family, your neighbours. They need to be newly created and turned into wheat. You've got to be prepared to tell them the bad news. 
believers this morning, in this moment of quiet prayer in silence, you should be fervently praying for those who are currently lost. Whether they are next door or they're uh, the other side of the world, whether they're your close, close family or just a distant friend, they are lost and you should be praying for them fervently. The reality of hell is real. Jesus could not be clearer in his laying up of his stories. There's two ways to respond to the good sower, the good shepherd, the good father, the good king. There's two ways to respond to him. So pray for yourselves that you will stay repentant. Pray for your family that they will repent. Pray that you will have a heart that speaks the bad news and then the good news.